welcome to Ribbon of Memes, episode 18? 79. 79, I was close. Um, this is a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other undercover operatives um, and failed <laughs> science fiction writers as masterpieces. I am Nick, the uh, the director of this fictional show, and I am joined, as ever, by Roger, the um, shady undercover um, CIA operative of the show. Don't tell anybody. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I mean the uh, the the effects designer. <laughs> we are discussing 2012. Uh, and this episode we are talking, it, it is 2012 isn't it, well, that's the year mm. we're in, um, mm. we are discussing Ben Affleck's directorial debut, I think. Um, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Argo. Yeah. And, mm. okay, I mean, we, we, let's just say up front, this, this was a very popular film at the time. Um with critics uh, as well as audiences, I think, wasn't it? It was highly lauded. It made yeah. a lot of um, favourite... I think it may have been... Um, oh, Roger Ebert's last ever favourite film of the year, because I think he died quite soon after this. But it made a lot of best film ever lists uh, of 2012 uh, from uh, so, okay, respected so critics. quite his directorial debut. Uh, his, his feature debut was The Town, 2010. Oh, it was. That is right. Yes, well done. Uh, ben Affleck, yeah, no. His, I mean, he, he, he's certainly making that uh, classic move from I, I am a hunky bankable star. I'm, I'm sure we all know about how that feels. Uh, to, <laughs> it's a burden. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a bit older and a little bit less hunky, so that, therefore take me seriously as a director. Obviously, I know a bunch of people because of the acting work. Yeah, yes. it's, it's a standard yeah. transition. It is, um, which uh, is managed to Ben Affleck, no stranger to Ribbon of Memes. We last encountered him in um, uh, Thingy, the one with the angels, um, uh, <laughs> the Kevin Smith Dogma. movie. Dogma. Uh, thank you, Dogma, um, which uh, we both uh, very much enjoyed and both felt that Affleck and um, uh, Damon were some of the best things in it. Or, or I guess as a team, they were very good in it. They made a great... Um, uh, yeah, group. I mean, since then he's made Geekly, so, you know. Well, I'm not... <laughs> we're, we're not here to um, uh, bury this man. Um, we are here to judge, uh, order at least discuss Argo. So Argo yeah. is the true... <laughs> um, uh, we'll come on to that, I'm sure. True story of the CIA's uh, undercover operation... Uh, with or without Canada, um, we'll come on to that as well, I suspect, um, uh, to extricate six um, American citizens from Iran after the uh, Shah was overthrown um, and then the American embassy was um, uh, stormed and hostages were taken. Yeah, and we, we, we will certainly come back to this. I, I think it is perhaps worth distinguishing between this is a perfectly reasonable simplification for purposes of film and yes. this is just the classic American war film thing of make it look as if the Americans did all the work and everybody else sat by the side and applauded. Because there's, there's both of those things here. It's, yes. I mean... It... Okay. Well, so the the story of the film is that these uh these characters basically took a back route out of the embassy when it was being stormed. Um and they find themselves in the Canadian embassy. Um the Canadian the Americans find out about this and orchestrate uh a peculiar expedition to get them out the best way they can think of um of getting into Iran and getting out again is to pose as location scouting for a science fiction film. Um, yeah, I'm, l- l- let's say um, I- Iran is trying to appear to be a normal com- country that's having a change of government rather than the great enemy. Uh, and therefore, somebody from a neutral country like Canada is entirely allowed to fly in, fly out. Yes, but America is... Um, and particularly uh, American diplomats. And particularly American diplomats are the... Uh, I mean, they are all State Department employees, so... I mean, this is... Uh, slightly, I mean, for not uh, <laughs> not entirely unfair reasons, considered um, 
the enemy of Iran. Yeah, um, there, there is. Mm, it's interesting. There is a um, opening narration explaining the basic history. Yeah, that that. Um, yeah. Yeah, Mossadegh had taken power in the fifties, and the CIA had deposed him. Well, it's, it's the CIA and and the British Secret Service at that point. Yeah, we um, uh, yeah we had <laughs> um, because oil, um, because oil. Yeah, he um, he had nationalised the foreign oil company's holdings, and that obviously could not stand. As it turned out, the Shah did not actually uh, act all that grateful, and they they were continuing to bribe him right up to the end to try to. I mean, he, he uh, Iran did not join OPEC. Yes, um, it was uh, it was a disaster on many fronts, really. Except it did, uh, it kind of did what they wanted to do, but it cost a lot more than they were expecting. None of this is really gone into in the film. Yeah, but uh, but I do, I will say the opening narration is uh, it led me to believe as a, I might be watching a slightly different film because the opening is quite. Uh, Sympathetic, I think I'd say towards the Iranian plight and quite anti-CIA. And uh, honestly, knowing the facts of the situation, it's it's hard not to <laughs> come out of that story without feeling at least some of that. Um, so it, it's sort of a the CIA are kind of did a terrible thing. Um, yeah. And at the very least, one can understand that the popular feeling, you know, you are the country that put in this guy who who had an a extremely vicious secret police, even by the standards of the region. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. He was responsible for uh, torture and death on. Um, uh, uh, I mean, the new Iranian regime was no slouch in that department either. Unfortunately, well, um, yeah, that, that was that was complicated. Uh, it was intended to, to be a new civilian government. Yes. But they had yeah to, to get the motivation. They, Khomeini was just one of the people who was involved in that, and then he, as the classic thing, when you have a revolution with true believers in it, the nasty yes. bastards take over after the revolution as, is yes. won. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've seen this with most revolutions throughout history, and often it's the ones who didn't really do the hard work of the revolting that end up in power, um, as in Russia and um, France. Mm. Um, but anyway, that is that is the way of revolutions. Um, but that's yeah, our... Ba- that's... Ba- Bakhtiar, the, the actual new um, Prime Minister, the, the, the guy who's in charge of the revolution, in effect, yes. um, established... You know, Dissolved the secret police, fleet, freed all the remaining political prisoners, and so on, and invited Khomeini in, with the uh, with the idea that they were going to have a Vatican-style state in Qom. Right. Okay, but that didn't. And then Khomeini was okay. He has a huge personal following, and yeah, he he just becomes in charge. He became the de facto leader, and then basically the actual leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's that's the background to this, and uh, during the revolution, the uh, and all of this is true so far. Um, then we have the storming of the American, um, but storming is perhaps a bit strong, but it, it, it's overrun by civilians, uh, armed civilians, um, and yeah, I mean, this, this was nothing like a formal military operation, but you know, it, no. it, it is a revolution. These things get messy, and about I think it's about eighty. American um, diplomats, uh, well, not diplomats, but people who work in the diplomatic office, as well as diplomats, um, are taken hostage. Um, and, yeah, the America is trying to negotiate to get them out under Jimmy Carter. And so what do you think of that opening scene with the... So we have the opening narration, which I thought was good. It was yeah. interesting. Then we have the opening scene. Uh, and... Uh, for me, from this point on, there is no more sympathy with Iran. Uh, in fact, there's no more point of view from Iran at all. I yeah, think. one or two of the of the people involved do get named um, the, the uh, Ministry of Culture guy, hmm. but they they really do seem to be portrayed as a monolithic howling mob. Rather, yeah, you know, they, they are. Yeah, that that they're doing the job of the enemy. Much yes, and I, I suppose I can understand in the opening uh, scene. I guess that's how it would feel. You can understand it. The, the um, thing I really liked about that opening scene um, is the acting from the, from the people involved. You know, here, here are yes. people who have just be, have been doing their jobs. They know things are a bit iffy, 
they know there's been a crowd outside the embassy, but they're basically expecting the rules to hold. And yes. all of a sudden the rules are not holding, and yeah. Yeah, and that, they that certainly... Works, that's, yeah, the facial expressions, the body language, that's all really nicely done. It's quite a modern sort of... Uh, documentary style that we've encountered before in um, uh, uh, ooh, uh, The Hurt Locker uh, and similar mm. films, mm. Um, and it works. It works well. Um, it seems to bring out actors uh, quite well. Uh, uh, you know, Affleck uh, seems to be quite a good director here, and, and certainly, although it's a confusing situation, you're not confused as to what's going on um, and where you are. Well, you're not really confused. I think it is well staged as you, you understand the stakes, you understand what they're trying to do. It's, it's well done. And it, and it's a slightly complicated setup, um, for the rest of the film. But it, mm. I think it works pretty well. Yeah. And, and then it all gets a bit hazy and they end up at the Canadian Embassy. Which. Yeah. From the moment they get out the back door. Um, I, I think this it's is where it's slightly. Pop, there is reasonable pop. simplification going on here. I mean. They, I did, I mean, the. They, they, they went, like, basically they, they were, there were two groups that got out, one of them did get captured quite quickly. Uh, the other lot, um, yeah, one of them said, okay, come to my home, uh, cause I, I live over here, and, and they, they rested there for the first night, and then, you know, they went from house to house, uh, they, they did get to the British, re- British, uh, residential compound, um, and, then they look, looked at the amount of protest that was happening there. See previous comments, Ray, who, who deposed <laughs> yes. uh, Mossadegh, uh, and decided, okay, maybe we're going to move on. Uh, and in the end, uh, they they were in two of the Canadian households. What um, the ambassador on on like, and I can understand. So here we skip all of that. They basically go straight to the Canadian. And they're, embassy, and they're all in one block, and they're all together. Um, where I slight. So I understand, you know, eliding all that and um, conflating the... But, it, you know, we have lines in the film where they specifically say, oh, the English and uh, the British and the New Zealand embassy have turned them away, which is flatly not true. They were both mm. ta- they were taken in by both embassies uh, and moved on. So it's... Uh, for for that know, matter, it's, it's strongly implied that there's a deadline and the Canadians are going to turf them out as well, which was, which was simply never on the cards. So already, just for the purposes of... Uh, I, I understand simplifying the situation, but when you're kind of uh, bad mouthing, or at least implying that that uh, they'd been turned away by other people uh, for the purposes of drama, and this film bends the truth a lot for the purposes of drama, um, I, I well, start just to in, insert my standard comment about if it were presented as a fictional story, I wouldn't mind when it's a story about actual people who actually existed. Yes, I, 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 yeah. I get irked. And you always understand some, exactly as you, well, exactly as we're saying, you know, you understand editing and simplification. But when it's, I don't know, this film pushes it for me, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But it starts, it starts with lines like, they've been turned away by these embassies mm-hmm. who, who didn't. And that, um, you know, those are people who are still alive and still around and, uh, watched the film and thought, fuck off, we didn't turn them away. <laughs> um, so anyway, there, that's, there's that's a particularly perverse bit at the, at the ending, which, which we'll come to. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So uh, in, in the reality of the film, and let, let's just assume we're talking about that for the moment. Yes. Yes. Um, the, the CIA comes up with a plan and they come up with various ideas. You know, we, we will make them a group of um, foreign language teachers, that kind of thing. Yes. And there's no teacher. There's no teacher. So, um, and, but those uh, guys have already fled. Yes, exactly. So all the ideas they come up with and the central truth of the film is that they came up with this seemingly bonkers idea, uh, of a science fiction film. Um, uh, I'm sad because um, it's actually based on Lord of Light, which I've um, I've read. Roger Zelazny's Lord of Light, mm. which contains the <laughs> the immortal line. Um, it's some convoluted way to get there, but it, it has um, uh, a moment where the uh, leader of the opposition has a seizure. To, at least to the line, "The fit hit the Shan," <laughs> which I was always very <laughs> fond of. Um, but Lord of Light's a very good book, and I can see the influence there. But this. So um, there, there had been a genuine attempt to produce it. I mean, I, I think yes. when we were talking about uh, Alien, uh, we, we looked at the effect that the success of Star Wars had. You know, all of a sudden, everybody's, yeah, if you've got a science fiction book with the rights available, we want to buy it because everybody want wants to give their it a own go, blockbuster yes. science fiction film. And um, this wasn't getting anywhere ultimately. Yeah, well, it, it was a bit complicated. Um, it was... 
yeah, I can't remember who who actually did the script adaptation. Um, but you know, they they had a star attached nominally. They had a producer. Uh, they they had concept art by Jack Kirby. Lovely, and it's uh, shown. I don't know if that was true. It certainly looked like Jack Kirby's artwork. The, the, stuff, in the, the stuff in the film is not Jack Kirby's concept. Oh, art. that's a shame. Okay, uh, it's certainly in his style. Yeah. But, so. uh, but basically, it, it's not completely clear. Uh, probably some of it's still prosecutable, but there, were, there was definitely some embezzlement. There were a lot of accusations of embezzlement. There was certainly okay. a lot of missing money. And so basically, it, it wasn't everybody thinks this this script is rubbish so much as a production has started and it's got and it's got lost and they're looking for more money. Okay, so it's in development hell, I guess you would call it. Yeah, this basically. Film. And another minor change is that uh, they picked the film up as Argo, but it was actually changed by the CIA, because I think it was called Lord of Light when they picked mm. it up, but yeah. they changed it to Argo for the old joke which crops up in the film, um, Argo, fuck yourself. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the basic idea... Uh, is that it was sufficiently complex that to somebody who is not a science fiction fan, it will just sound okay. It's weird that I don't, I don't expect this to make sense, you know. I mean, they, this is an era where films like Zardos were being made, so it, mm-hmm. it's certainly it's certainly believable that this was a science fiction film. Um, oh, Zardos! I suddenly struck by an image of Sean Connery uh, dressed in a giant nappy. Um, <laughs> but there we are. Um, so we have uh, at this point we have Ben Affleck enters the story as Tony is it Tony Mendes? Tony it Mendes, is, isn't yeah. it? The real life CIA operative um, who in the film is separated from his wife for dramatic purposes because that never happened I gather <laughs> in reality um, it, it reminds me of that the thing you get in a, in a disaster film you know oh no there is a disaster all these people are at risk and these cute little girl needs insulin. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yes. Um, well, he gets the idea in the film. And again, it's this where it started to feel a bit like I am ticking the box of this is how dramatic things work. Because in the film, his son's a science fiction fan. And they talk, he's watching uh, one of the Planet of the Ape films. Uh, mm. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, I believe. Um and you can almost see the lights go on, the kind of, aha, this gives me an idea. And I just, it's very, and I know it has to be simplified, but, um, I don't know. It felt a bit box tickingy to me that he suddenly goes, oh, what if we make a science fiction film? Mm. Um, uh, which of course that particular plot thread with his son has to get wrapped up neatly at the end as well. well so, what one guess, could argue uh, uh, what, why is it that people in Hollywood have such a difficult time depicting the process of invention and creativity? Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> um, let's move on <laughs> from that. So we have a very bearded um, a hirsute Ben Affleck here. Yeah. A very 70s bearded Ben Affleck. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> One of the, the, the things that I, I was very struck by was, yeah, they, they have clearly got the great big economy-sized can of 70s stuff and given everything in this film two coats. <laughs> very, Which, very on the one thorough hand, spraying. Yes, it looks like 70s, or it looks like one's memories of the 70s, but I do I do actually, I, I was conscious for, for a significant part of the 1970s, yes. and it didn't look like that. Maybe it, it did in, okay. in, in the US or or in Tehran or whatever, but, you know, yeah, you would occasionally see a guy with facial hair like that, but it was not it was not commonplace. You would occasionally see all the, look the like they lady have... with the great big glasses, but not, <laughs> not all yeah. of them. All these characters look like they've just stepped off the pages of The Joy of Sex, I think. <laughs> they, uh, they are very, um, very 70s. I agree. I mean, I uh, was less conscious for the 70s, uh, but I've seen pictures of when I was alive, and yeah, it's not... I agree, it's Hollywood 70s. This is 70s era. Every single item of furniture in this room has to be 70s. Um, Distinctively, not just a thing that existed then and might probably still exists now. Exactly. This can't be something that's been in the room since the 40s, for instance. It is a distinct 70s object, and all these people are wearing 70s clothes. And um, I, I will admit I had to look it up, uh, but the Hollywood sign was actually repaired in 1978. I thought I, I, I thought I remembered it happening. I just couldn't remember exactly what order these things had happened in. So uh, that would have been repaired when he flew over. Yeah, because uh, this is seventy nine, isn't it? Yeah, okay. seventy nine to eighty. Yeah. 
but it is another way of the film saying, "Look, this is long ago and not quite like how things mm. are." Yeah. So, I, 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 that sort of thing, I don't mind. You know, if there's, uh, well, I, I don't know. I guess I've just got a limit for where I mind the truth being bent, and that is, it doesn't really matter, and it's a good visual indication that reminds you, oh, yeah, that was different how it, how it is now. Mm. So I don't mind it, but I'm not at all surprised to find it's not, <laughs> it's not true. Um, so we have. Um, First appearance in ribbon of memes of um, Walter White himself. I've forgotten his actual name now. <laughs> Brian Cranston um, as Jack O'Donnell, um, uh, who is uh, uh, Tony's partner. Uh, he's an amazing actor. Um, I don't think you'd know that from this performance, where he is kind of generic CIA guy. I, did you? Were you particularly struck by Brian Cranston in Not this? Not particularly. I, no. I, I would say he, his boss rather than his partner. I mean, he, he he's on a yes. friendly relationship yeah, with him, but it, certainly this is the guy who's giving him the orders. You're right. Yes, fair enough. Um, but he gets, uh, he gets struck with, he gets stuck with lines like, um, let's do our job, people, and that kind of stuff, which just feels really, oh, straight out of the Hollywood playbook to me, because we're the spying, we're a spy organization, for God's sake, find them. I just, uh, people don't talk like that in real life. I just, certainly not in the CIA, I expect. Not that I would know. As things move on, it, it becomes clear that th- this is falling into the, the caper film template. You know, we've, yeah. we've got this setup of why these people are in the situation, as we've been talking yes. about so far. And, and then it's basically, right, now we have to come up with a cunning plan to get them out. And things yes. will go wrong and we all have to improvise because that's the thing that always happens in the caper film setup. And the difficulty I think they have with Argo is that it it didn't go that wrong. I mean, they planned it and it worked. And that is a problem with a Hollywood... As we've discussed in a role-playing scenario, because we're both um, role-players, in a role-playing scenario, that's incredibly satisfying. You come up with a plan, you play it through, there's tension when you roll the dice, and it works. To watch someone plan an operation and then to see it go off well is not as exciting. Mm. Yeah, um, because you don't have that personal involvement of, I made it happen this way. Yes, exactly, and I'm in real trouble if this goes wrong. You need some... So, the way Hollywood usually solves it is either you never see the planning phase, or Mm -hmm. you see the planning phase, in which case you know the plan is not going to work. And so this this film goes down that route. You you might see a a bit of planning and then, okay, so here is a thing that is obviously a challenge, and the plan gets them past it. But then here is a different challenge, and they have to do something clever as well. Yes, exactly. Um... Uh, but the plan is that he flies in um, with uh, a, as a location scout and flies out. Um, well, can, as a can, Canadian can we step back location. a minute here because yes. uh, we, we've got the actual uh, the, the the filmmakers who got involved. Oh yes, yes. And uh, so John John Goodman doing a, I, I think a very this is the sort of role you expect John Goodman to look to do. Role. He actually looks quite like uh, John Chambers, the makeup artist who. Was I gather he's, he's he's close to a, uh, a, a bit of a look like uh, a looky likey. What do you call it? Anyway, yes, uh, a bit of a doppelganger for him. Um, but I agree, it's John Goodman. Very watchable, um, interesting, but not. It's John, exactly as you would say. It's, it's an affable John Goodman role. And uh, interesting to me that the one of the biggest changes in in people. Uh, Alan Arkin as, uh, what do they call him, Lester Siegel. Lester Se- we, yes. We've got to have an actual real producer on this or they won't take it seriously. That's not actually what they did. Uh, Robert Seidel, who was another makeup guy. Yeah, uh, played, they were both played the producer. Guys. Yes. And that, I don't know, that to me feels like a missed opportunity, isn't he, that? He, more he's doing kind of Jack Warner's personality. And that's quite fun, but that's not the actual guy who was there. Well, so he's an entirely invented and slightly composite character, Alan Arkin, and he's one of the most interesting characters in the film. Mm. Uh, he gets all the best lines, including the Argo "fuck yourself" and um, uh, and it's. I thought, oh, I wonder who he's based off. And so when I looked into it, no one. They made him up, but I, yes, he's he's a bit Jack Warner. Um, but I think that came a bit from Alan Arkin, sort of acted him that way. I, he's yeah. great. I mean, I I we last saw Alan Arkin in. Um, Gross Point Blank is the film I'm trying to think of as his therapist and I loved him there um, I love him here he's very good I, you know he's a very different character in that yeah he, um, he can sometimes come off a bit self-satisfied but, but I think yes, here, I here and there they both work 
Well, here he, he's kind of supposed to be self-satisfied, um, so you, you forgive him for it. But he's he's a very watchable character, so it's mm. a shame that he's pretty much fictional. I See, this is where I start to feel, and this is why we're both, I think, big fans of Das Boot, there's a lot of... <sighs> things don't have to be as interesting if I know they're true, because I'm more surprised. Um, and, you know, with Das Boot, it's not, you know, it's not a true story, but it's... Um, it's so uh the tension comes out of reality you don't they don't have to invent very much and here you know it would have been a more interesting story i think to have a makeup artist play a producer uh, and mm. i would have been more satisfied that that would have happened um, I, as I, I think i said to you i i'd see, when i'd seen about a third of it uh, do not look up the real history because this yeah, works a lot did. better if you don't know the real history as unfortunately i did well, I, yes. Yeah, so I did. I, you know, I knew very vague details. Um, but uh, you're right. I enjoyed it more at the time. But even during the film, not knowing it, I was towards the end. I was thinking that just this never happened. Come on, that's not how it worked. Out. And I was right in most of those situations. Um, how did we haven't talked much about Ben Affleck's character? He's a very morose, unhappy. Um, he, he he seemed to me to be playing Tom Selleck playing Chuck Norris. <laughs> okay. There, yeah. there are a lot of mannerisms from both of those perform yeah performances they were doing at the time. Yes, but it's a very muted performance as well. I felt he's a, mm. he's not a. Uh, I mean, it's fine. He's again, I, I think that may be part of the deliberate. You know, yes, I've been a leading man and anchored a film, and now I'm going to step back a bit because I'm directing. Yes, I think so too. I, I think you, yeah, you you shouldn't just be relying on my beautiful looks anymore. Yes, which is why I've covered them uh, with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I didn't find him. Well, it's Ben Affleck, and I I do think he is a charismatic. I, he has uh, committed some cinematic sins, no doubt, but he is a charismatic actor, and even in this kind of muted role, he's he's watchable and interesting. Hmm. Um, but I don't think it's very like the real Tony Mendes. I, I don't know, but I do know he wasn't separated from his wife at this time, and so that whole which makes that whole kind of emotional journey he goes through, his character entirely fictitious and makes me feel, what was what's the what's the point of that then? I don't because mm. it's a pretty standard uh plot that we've seen in a lot you know it's a bit unhappy and he's not reconciled with his wife and he's talking to his kid and it makes him sad and he talks to other people about how sad he is and then at the end he kind of reconciles but it's not an interesting journey and it's made up so i don't yeah i, mean, I, mean, I if, if you if you made that the primary bit of the film and yeah say say put it from the wife and kids point um primary point of view you know, yeah. goes off to do something dangerous and then comes back and is changed by it. That that could be an interesting story, but the, the, uh, yes, there is so little of that. It. It, it, as you yeah. say, it feels like ticking the boxes of we must have an emotional arc. I wasn't gripped by it, and I even if it was true, I wasn't terribly gripped by it. When I found out that it wasn't true, I'm just like, well, why do we have to... I'm more interested. I'm watching this film because I'm interested in the story... Mm. Behind the and and you know this has got nothing to do with that. It doesn't add a lot to his character, in my opinion. Oh, I'm being very down on this film. I, it's not. I I I will say I did enjoy watching it. It's very watchable, mm. and it's not too long either. It's it's sub two hours, wasn't it? Or it felt like it. I, it's bit. when we get into the second half that I, that I started feeling feeling the grit under my shell, as it were. <laughs> okay, um, yes. Yeah, this stuff's all interesting and it moves along at an interesting pace. John Goodman and Alan Arkin, um. They're, they're, very, they're very watchable. I mean, and, yes, and, yes. as we said, you know, with, with, uh, Green Street and Laurie, you know, they're, they're doing a bit. It's not especially to do with this particular film, but they're doing a bit. Yeah. It's a very watchable bit. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, so. After this, we have a lot of setup and a bit of tension and talk about how serious it is. And we see the hostages in the um, Iran. Uh, and I suppose you could... Uh, what we see from their point of view is watching this howling mob outside all the time. Mm. And more yeah, and it, more, Iran... Every the, Everyone's hand is turned against us. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it's to make them feel isolated. And I guess the film would have been a bit less if it had tried to... Uh, in the way it was doing it, if we had humanised the Iranians a bit more, uh, maybe this, the way the film that they did it might not have worked so well, 
I'm just not sure it needed to be. It just felt, frankly, a bit xenophobic. Um, well, it, it is the simple Hollywood story pattern. Got to yeah, have good guys and yeah. bad guys. Yeah. And here the good guys have American accents and the bad guys uh, speak in a foreign language and shout and look scary and mm-hmm. are slightly darker skinned than us. And, that, you know, that's um, awkward territory. I, I mean, feel. I don't think any of us here is going to say that uh, Khomeini's regime was a good thing. But, no. Uh, or, or indeed that the Shah's was. Um, both of them had, had good and bad people in them. And what I... I Okay, verging off into Roger's philosophy corner here. I think one one of the signs of a bad regime is it is, it lets it encourages bad people to indulge their right, badness. Yep. That's um, fair enough. And yeah, neither of them was particularly good in that respect. But it, it would have been interesting to see, you know, actual humans on on the other side. They could have. Still know, I, I genuinely yeah. think we can make our country a good thing. I am going to be pro- proven wrong in about three days when Khomeini takes over. But <laughs> yeah, you know, some, somebody like that could have been. Yeah, I don't know. If, if you're going to fictionalise it in the first place, exactly. I, mean, I, yeah. I, I am sure that this would represent the CIA's own view of the operation. You know, we are the only people who ever do anything. <laughs> Everybody else is the enemy. <laughs> That's very much the sort of narrative they like to tell. It is. Um, and I said, yeah, the way they're telling this story, that's, I, it works for the story, but it, it still feels, to me, it feels uncomfortable. Um, and maybe I've, I suppose I shouldn't moan about what the film wasn't, but I, I think it would have been better telling it a different way. But we get Tony, um, landing in Iran and looking gloomy, um, having to stop drinking, which is <laughs> <laughs> a, um, a terrible thing. Um, and then he Don't you makes know it's the 1970s, or it was when I was last sober. <laughs> um, he makes his way to the Canadian embassy. Um, it is the, no, it's not the embassy. It's the ambassador's house, isn't it, that they're staying in? I think. In the yeah, I, I don't uh, think it's ever made especially clear, but yes, it is definitely the. In the it, it, it was. It's not. A, it's not an office um, yeah. of any kind. Um, and explains uh, the situation to the uh, the hostages. Uh, and again, it feels to me like it's just ticking. So we have, you know, they're all kind of scared and receptive. And then we have one uh, who's like, no, definitely not. I'm never going to do it. That's nonsense. You're going to get us all killed. And I'm like, OK, all right. I think I can see where this plot's going to go <laughs> from mm. here. And it, uh, so he eventually sort of comes round to their way of thinking and in, in the end turns out to sort of... Well, uh, well, well, come on to that. It just felt a bit like, okay, are these real characters? This do... it, it contrasted and a bit They, with they the do have thing. names. They have the names of the real people. I, I never felt we were getting any real sense of personality of them as individuals. They're archetypes yeah, they, they, There's can't handle it guy, and then there's doesn't believe it can work guy, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and there's the, you know, the, the, the young couple, and the, yeah, it's, uh, and, so they're, they're briefed and given their characters. Um, uh, we have the Canadian ambassador doing uh, kind of not very much in the background, <laughs> which we may come on to, I guess, towards the end of the podcast. But um, he certainly facilitates the whole thing. Um, yeah, that, that, and um, fake documentation is created. Yes, yeah, that's all created while he's over there. I guess that makes sense in that... Uh, you couldn't be caught carrying that into Iran. Well, actually, that's just well. Yeah, they um, had they. It wasn't clear who was going to what was going to be done about the passports. And by the time the CIA spoke to the Canadians about it, the Canadians had already decided yes, we we will break our usual passport regulations and issue these passports to these people. That will be fine. Okay. So he he did in fact carry them in. Okay. Um, I believe the uh, Iranian visas were done by the CIA before he left however they got the year wrong because they didn't notice that the year starts on the spring equinox Okay. Uh, so so he did have to modify those in country, I mean he was only for 36 hours so yes he wasn't, it, uh, and again the film doesn't sort of dwell on how long he's there but um, then we have this trip to the, they're called to go to the, the Grand Bazaar uh, by the culture minister or a culture cultural attache or uh, someone in the government who wants to um, uh, show them around the Grand Bazaar as a great shooting location. Hmm. This now, this whole episode didn't happen, I believe. I, I believe it's all invented. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a bad thing for for attention. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it gives us a bit of um, uh, a bit of a look round um, Iran, and not much. I mean, you don't really get much of a flavour of Iran otherwise. So I suppose maybe that's um, uh, that's worth looking round. Uh, but we have the the characters looking very scared. Um, again, it's all well acted and, and dramatic intent. But uh, I think it was about this point the film started to lose me because I started to think. Because uh, I I was interested with it, but I felt like, well, they're not going to get torn to pieces by the mob, so what's going to happen here? They're just going to get out again, and and they kind of yeah, did. That that was the problem for me because I knew that it had come off essentially without a hitch. Yes, I yeah. The caper film model has to work up tension and say, here is a thing that's going to go wrong. We can't improvise around it, and I and I knew that unless they were going to completely um, change the historical ending, it was all going to be fine. Yes, yes. Uh, Whereas, you know, in in a work of fiction, you you could say one go, one guy gets arrested and shot, and the others get away, or something like that. You could you could have that tension. But yeah, there's I, even in a film with uh, which takes uh, quite a lot of um, uh, liberties with uh, with the true history, it, it, they couldn't break it so much that yeah, someone got uh, murdered here or so. Yeah. Well, al- be... also of course, I mean, as, as we've said, this, this is also the American war film model. Where the Americans do everything and everything comes off perfectly. Um, wasn't wasn't that that one about capturing an, an Enigma machine where they they simply replaced the the Royal Navy crew who did it with yes. an American crew? That sort of thing. I've never watched that one, um, partially for that reason. To, to be honest, um, why not? Just what's wrong with what's wrong with doing it right? It just made, anyway, <laughs> so then maybe we we're not the target audience. But. The fi- <laughs> the whole final. Third, the third act basically is the airport mm. and the the final escape and the tensions beforehand. Uh, and then we have uh, before it even happens, Tony has said, "Stop! It's off! Don't do it! You can't do it now!" And he decides he's going to do it anyway. He's a renegade maverick, American hero type. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, that doesn't seem like good CIA operative. Well, being, being fair, the CIA is very bad at stopping the renegades from doing whatever the hell they want to. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, I don't know. I, I, if I was Tony Mender, the real Tony Mender's watching that, I don't know how I would feel. Because, again, none of this happened. I, J- J- Jimmy Carter like, held the authorization by about 30 minutes, but that was all sorted out before they got on the plane before he landed in Iran. So mm-hmm. none of this kind of last-minute cancellation happened. Um, but I just... It, to me, not knowing that, I still didn't believe it. It just felt so... OK, we've got to introduce this, and he's going to do it anyway. Here's an mm-hmm. obstacle for him to have and, and he is backed up by his boss, who, who's going to do the whole thing about uh, finding the kid's school and claiming to be that, which, again, yeah, the, the guy had no kid. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, like they, they all had to have their moment to shine. So Tony's moment was to, uh, you know, uh, it's like um, again going back to role playing game. It's like um, Trailer Cthulhu, and everyone has their moment. And so Tony has his moment when he um, he uh, decides he's going to do it anyway. And then Brian Cranston's tough boss has his moment where he figures out how to sort it out at the last minute um, it just was really starting to feel in this last third like by the numb and it just sort of exponentially got more and more like that as they worked their way through the airport mm. I felt and so so we've we've got in, in, in the film the um, the tense interview with the revolutionary guards uh, yes well I, I thought they were going to make something of this um, can't handle it guy yeah. Says, he, he talks, you know, they're, they're interviewing him and he talks about the six of us. Yeah. And that, uh, no, you, you've got your, you, you and your mates are the six of us, but you're supposed to be the, the seven or eight of us, depending on whether, whether, uh, Tony's friend is, is actually, his co-worker is actually part of the story or not. I don't think we ever see him, so, so we'll be the seven no. of us. But yeah, I, I, I was waiting for everybody else to, su- you know, suck in their breath and they, oh, are they going to notice that? And then apparently yeah. nobody, nobody did. No, so. it just skipped over. Yes, exactly. Uh, but then we have the, um, didn't believe it guy, uh, yeah, just, uh, he shows this, uh, he shows off this, uh, he basically, um, dazzles them with Hollywood and they are suitably impressed and they're allowed to go on the plane at the last minute, 
Um, except right when the plane's about to take off on the tarmac, there's a, oh, we had a moment before that where he says, oh, have you got tickets? And she says, no. And he says, well, c- can you check again? And at that moment, the tickets are authorised. And it's just, it just, it became ridiculous really mm. the amount of oh and just at that moment this happened oh they were so lucky that this happened and so they're on the plane about ready to take off when they're rumbled uh, and the guards come running through and hammering on the door let us through don't let that plane take off as opposed to as you pointed out off air just radioing the air traffic controller and saying could you not authorise that plane to take off yeah we, we, we are the revolutionary guard in control at, at this airport halt all aircraft movements yeah yeah, but no. Yeah, and, and then you would scramble fighters, because, you know, in case <laughs> in case the pilot wants to be a hero. But yeah. exactly, yeah. The, the, uh, the who... um, Revolutionary Air Force has F fours and even a few F fourteens at this point. That's the sort of bribe they were giving the Shah. <laughs> they don't have a lot of pilots, <laughs> <Yeah>. but you know. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, which you know, frankly, would have worked. And the reason that didn't happen is because none of this happened. At all. Yeah, I, I would like to quote from the memoir of uh, Mark Lijak, one of the uh, six. Fortunately for us, there were very few revolutionary guards in the area. It's why we turned up for a flight at 5.30 in the morning, even though they weren't zealous enough to be there that early. The truth is, the immigration officers barely looked at us, and we were processed out in the regular way. We got on the flight to Zurich, and then we were taken to the US ambassador's residence in Bern. It was, it was that straightforward. Yeah. And I can see that's not the climax of a film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree, there were, that would have been were a, a couple poor... of things that did. I mean, there, there were, you, you could have the the thing that actually happened, which was a delay in boarding because there were mechanical difficulties with the plane, which yeah. was, you know, completely innocent in reality, but would it, would increase tension. And then you could have, you know, the people looking at them suspiciously and stuff. But that, but exactly. they left that they out. Could have, yeah. Instead, they come up with this ridiculous to me, it was just getting ridiculous now. Oh, he's got the tickets last minute. Oh, he's he's checked the uh, the passport. Oh, no, he's let him through. Um, oh, and now they've all been taken to this side room where they're going to get interrogated. And now he's managed to talk his way out of it because that's his moment to shine. Um, and then they're on the plane flying back and then Tony goes to never believed in you guy and gives him a good old firm handshake manly no, handshake moment yeah a, a manly handshake and, and a, a, a manly look of manliness goes between them I don't know I, at this point I was not won over by the film shall I say I just yeah. I didn't believe it um, and then I looked into it and was utterly unsurprised to find none of this happened but you know there are ways of making tension out of these stories you just you don't if that's what happened at the airport, don't make your finale of the set piece of the airport. Make it somewhere else, or make yeah, it I mean, maybe leaving leaving the Canadian ambassador's residence on the road to freedom is is your finale. Yeah, yeah, or um, yeah. yeah, anything, just not one where it passed off without a hitch, and you have to invent loads of tension. Um, and so they get back, and um. Tony gets the the CIA equivalent of the gold star, which I forget what it is, but he is not allowed to tell anyone because it's a secret operation, which is true. That mm. would be a bit of a pisser, wouldn't it? Um, he, <laughs> it was declassified in, was it Clinton's era, I think? But then he was allowed yeah. to actually get the medal. Um, that was, see, those yeah, little... Basically, in, in 97, when the CIA did their 50th anniversary celebration, yes, really, um, they, they declassified <laughs> a bunch of stuff that was, you know, on the edge of, we don't think it's actually harmless, we don't think it's actually going to be harmful, and but just nobody's got round to declassifying it yet. Uh, okay. And, and this it, was and one it of makes those. us look good, so, yeah. Um, oh, that's remind me of another one of these ridiculous... So this is the moment when, having sat in the office for the entire film, um, uh, Alan Arkin and uh, Goodman's character um, decide to go for a beer or something across the road and that's the critical moment when the telephone will ring and that will rumble the whole operation if he doesn't answer it and then they're on their way back but they can't get back to the office because they're filming um, and somehow they presciently know they've got to get back to the office quickly so they walk across even though they are filming even though as film guys they know that is pretty mortal sin <laughs> um, <laughs> it just uh, anyway sorry um, that's reminded me of the other ridiculous thing um, the, the, uh, we, we, get, we get more um, caption and narration at the end 
Yes. So the, the film basically ends at that point, and then we have. Um, oh yeah, and of course Tony gets back together with his son because Tony gets does. back together with his, son. and <laughs> then he takes him all the storyboards, uh, which would be a cool present, but I, I doubt that happened either. Um, yeah. uh, it's just uh, yeah. Anyway, well, but, I'm feeling really. The more there's, I, talk there's, about this film. <laughs> I I think it's yeah the. Um, Canadian Diplomatic Service um, were obviously you know, ha- had a look at the uh, early version of this because they had a certain amount of approval to be got and, and got quite irked with the way the way they they were portrayed and and the, the result of that was uh, some of that ending narration saying you know the Canadians got lots of um, praise for it which is which is true yeah. but it's undermined in the film by uh, Affleck Tony. Saying, "Oh well, yeah, everybody, everybody praised the Canadians, but we know yeah. what really happened." And then we see this genuine news footage of genuinely praising actual Canadians, which is which is made to look as if it's self-serving. I mean, it it is the I, as far as I can tell in reality, the Canadians played a much bigger part than uh, is clear in this film. They went and got the plane tickets. They gave them a lift. I think they gave them the, passports. The, they gave him the passport. So they, they played a very big part in it. And the CIA also played a significant part. But they seemingly... They seem to be pissed off that they couldn't take any of the credit. I don't know. It's pretty petty when you're a spy organisation to feel like you can't <laughs> take the credit for your... Uh, so it, in some ways, it felt like this film was trying to redress the balance of years of the Canadians taking credit for it and then kind of went a bit far the other way and then tries to correct for it again in the ending um in the closing uh, subtitle bits and i think they did uh, based on the reaction yes that uh, fleck changed it instead of saying uh, the canadians took all the credit the bastards it then changed to it wasn't quite that um that this was a model of cooperation between uh, governments that has always been looked to since or some Hmm. nonsense like that which I don't um, think it was particularly but you know no it no it doesn't enough. really ring true um, so yeah, but, I, yeah I, the, the, what I came out of this thinking was yeah that was quite fun as ephemeral entertainment it, but it yeah. was very much in the standard mould of caper film slash war film I yeah I'm a little surprised as to how well it did critically because as you say it was so by the numbers it's almost like because it was dressed up in truth uh, that seems to have dazzled people more it's, I, mm. I mean it's well directed, it's pretty, it's very competently acted um, and it's it's satisfying to watch but the reason it's satisfying to watch is because it follows the standard narrative template which is you know as a human being and we like stories it, it fulfills your narrative uh, yeah. whatever yeah. weird thing it is about humans that like to have a narrative complete it does that for us uh, but it, it takes such liberties with the truth that I found myself quite irked by it also seems a bit schizophrenic in that and I think you uh, you probably hit upon the truth of it really the main bulk of the film is really uh, CIA is heroic and of v- course versus good. the faceless enemies versus the faceless enemies but it's sort of the the front of the film we get this you know this is what the CIA actually did in Iran and basically they've created this whole situation anyway uh, I, so I don't kind of... know I mean I, I, I have certainly read in a few places that the ending uh, captions were changed I, I got the feeling that that intro was maybe um, either added or at least lengthened Possibly yeah. in in response to something else because it is so, and as you were saying, so so much of a different tenor from the rest of the film. I I agree with you. I think it's um, it, looking back on it in retrospect, it feels like a different tone. Um, and I know I get that's not the story they were trying to tell, but it's very hard to set up the situation in Iran without uh, mentioning how it got that way. <laughs> I, I hmm. guess, and that's hard to avoid if you're doing a story about the CIA. It's hard to. It would have been really disingenuous not to mention their role in it beforehand. And it's well, true, yeah. they, don't, they don't mention the British role very much there. But, but that's fine. I mean, the British aren't really in the film at all. So to some yeah. extent, that's excusable. Um, uh, so, I mean, overall, for me, I agree. It was like a standard 
I think heist is a good way. Of, it's not really a, a heist, but it is a group of well, a, a caper. You know, we, we've got a to plan this movie. complicated crime. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a caper movie, and everyone gets their moment to shine, and everyone gets it's yeah. To me, I personally am surprised at how now how beloved it was of the critics. I don't know if there's an element of holy heck, Ben Affleck can actually direct things mm. um, uh, and be non glamorous. I mean, yeah, okay, he, he had been non-glamorous in other things, but, yeah. There, there is a thing in Hollywood that if you're pretty and you make yourself look not pretty in a film, that is just the best thing you can possibly do and everyone's like, oh my God, imagine if they were actually ugly. That's crazy. I've um, gained 15 pounds of this roll. I can do that, possibly that beer. <laughs> exactly. Um, that seems to be hugely lauded. In, um, uh, yeah, not sure why. Um, but there we are. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, but it, met, uh, fr- friend of the show and occasional guest Marianne, for example, I think had this as a number two film of the year. And, so, so but, she, but that was very much with the um, framing stuff considered as part of the whole thing. Yeah. That, you know, all of this was essentially in large part the product of the CIA and, and the Secret Service messing about, sorry, Secret Intelligence Service, I should say, uh, messing about. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, it's, with, with them foreigners, it's also one of those films that has Hollywood sort of commenting upon itself, so they can be like joking about, um, "Oh, you're going to come in here and throw your money around and not actually doing anything. Oh, you'll fit right in." Um, mm. And that starts to feel a bit self-satisfied, particularly when this is such a, a Hollywood film in a lot of ways. It's it's under, it, it's dressed up in truth, but yeah, it, it really is a, a, a standard Hollywood film to me. I'm and. Yeah, I very much respect Marianne's opinion, but but for me, uh, there's there's not much. I, I mean, I'd watch it again if it was on in the sense that it's pleasant enough, but it's it, it doesn't particularly stand out. I'd rather mm. watch a documentary or, or read uh, read the actual story about what actually happened personally, as with most of these things. Yeah, um, I mean, to to be fair, uh, the film is made for people who would not rather watch a documentary i mean any yes. any fiction film is is going to be is going to have that element to it but i agree it, it's given the premise i felt it wasn't handled as as neatly as it could have been yeah yeah, yeah. i suppose for me it was almost handled too neatly <laughs> but mm. i i agree so for me uh not a masterpiece uh, very competent and enjoyable uh but uh no no not a masterpiece for no me. i'd agree i mean on a technical filmmaking level, it's all great, but yeah, yeah. stories matter, yeah. and accurate representation of real things matters. So, I think so. Yeah, I, and we're not anti. Well, as we said right at the start, I don't think we're anti changing things or compressing things or conflating people for the sake of getting this film, you know, under five hours or six hours. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there are. This is not actually what happened, and. But, you know, it could have happened that way or it could have looked a bit like that. And there yeah. is actual mis- misrepresentation saying this guy did the thing, this guy did all the things, and those other guys didn't do any of the things. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's where I start to have problems with the film. Well, there we are. Argo. We're, other people loved it. We less. Yeah, so, uh, so three Academy Awards uh, for picture adapted screenplay and editing. Adapted, so this was based on Tony Mendez's book. I know uh, it was based on a Wired article in 2007. <laughs> okay, that was itself right. largely based on the book plus some other sources. Oh, yes, I remember reading that now. Yes, yeah. And in the hope that someone would pick that up and make a movie of it, and they did. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, not the top uh, winner at the Academy Awards. A Life of Pi took director and then three minor awards. Uh, I've seen, I actually. It, it was one we thought about, but I think we didn't really feel any enthusiasm for. I have seen Life of Pi. I think it's, uh, I, I preferred it to this, I think I would say. Hmm. Ah, oh, well, maybe, maybe when we revisit the year. Yeah, um, maybe. Let's see, uh, two Oscars for Django Unchained, which on the one hand is Tarantino, but on the other hand has Christoph Waltz, who took supporting actor for this. Yes, oh, I love Crystal Falls. Um, I, I, it's good. It's not that, my that favorite. That was Marianne's case. number one for the year. So I'm I, I like not it, but that. Uh, I preferred Inglorious Inglorious Bastards. But <laughs> I, I, I think we 
I, I at least am a bit um, Tarantino'd out. Uh, maybe we'll I don't think. I feel like um, we've done a few. Uh, the one we haven't really over. Well, Spielberg is the one that we've watched a lot of his, and I don't feel desperately Spielberg'd out. I, I nearly suggested Lincoln for this year, partially because I'm reading Team of Rivals. Um, hmm. and that, that, that got uh, Best Actor for Daniel Day Lewis and one one minor. So long as he's, it's, I know he will be different, but I can't think of Daniel Day Lewis now without thinking, I drink your milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Les Miserables took, took away, uh, three, including Anne Hathaway for supporting actress. Oh, Les Mis. Um, now I've never seen any adaptation of anything about I, Les I find the music utterly derivative, but. Okay. That's because I've listened to quite a lot of classical music. Uh, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, just before The Hunger Games. Well, Jennifer Lawrence is always worth watching, um, but I don't know anything about that film. Uh, Hollywood Mental Illness, as, as far as I can see. Oh dear, okay, maybe that one's <laughs> not worth watching. <laughs> and, uh, Skyfall took two minors, the, the, the latest Bond. Oh, uh, don't get me started on Skyfall. Um, <laughs> well, um, lo- looking over at the box office, uh, it, it's in there as well, so, Number 10, uh, Men in Black 3. Not seen that one. That's like some time after the... I can't remember when it was... Anyway, doesn't matter. I've no plans of ever seeing it. Yeah, I I quite like the first one. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so, number 9, The Hunger Games. Yes, looks uh, better though. I, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the film. I, I've not actually seen the, the second half of the last one. Well, that's the but, thing. They did that thing where they have to split the last one into two. They mm. are they are good. I suspect. Well, uh, I, I have read the books as well. So, yeah, but Jennifer Lawrence and um, well acted and well done. And, yeah. uh, also, um, what's his name? Is the president Snow, um, and he's very good in it too. And I've forgotten his name, but he is an old Hollywood actor. <laughs> My <laughs> God, that was very helpful, wasn't it? Anyway, we're not talking about that. We'll uh, number eight, Madagascar three. It's, it's kid vid. It's apparently reasonably good kid vid, but it doesn't really. They are, yeah. I mean, uh, Diana Wynne Jones always said she liked writing books for children that their parents their parents wouldn't be bored reading to them. Yeah, I that think that's why that's she started true. writing her own books for children. Well, she's very good at that sort of thing. Um, as are, to be honest, a lot of animated studios are very good at doing that now. They certainly uh, pass the time. The problem is, I don't know what it is about kids. They have a tolerance for watching the same thing again and again mm. and again and again, which doesn't occur in adults, Which, what, however good a film is. Um, it, it yeah, I, I remember a new father telling me how grateful he was that DVDs existed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number seven, uh, the only one that I, I don't even know whether this was planned to be a part of a series or not, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. Because this, uh, this was before was... everything was superheroes. Wasn't there another Amazing Spider-Man? I think there was a two, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. That's, these are the ones with Richard, what's his name? Richard Garfield? No, he wrote magic. Um, <laughs> Andrew um... Garfield. So, so okay, so the 2012 reboot because this is this yeah. so many reboots. Um, Andrew this Garfield, is Andrew yeah. Garfield. Yeah, um, yeah. I haven't actually seen it, um, so there we are. I gather it was a superhero film, <laughs> yeah, um, but not as good as either the ones before or the ones after it. So I'm told, but I wouldn't know. Number six, Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Part Two. La la la. Insert previous comments. Uh, number five, Ice Age Continental Drift. Uh, previous coming. <laughs> the, the, the one good thing about that, as far as I'm concerned, I quite like the shorts involving Scrap the Sabretooth Squirrel. Because they're oh, shorts. Was that his name? That was a question in a pub quiz. Yes. <laughs> the rest of the bloody film to get through them. Uh, but I agree, they are very good. And I think they're mostly on YouTube now, anyway. Um, number four, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, Hobbit Part One. Oh. <sighs> Because we made all the money off Lord of the Rings, now we want to make all the money again. We're not going to. (laughs) Uh, Number three, The Dark Knight Rises. Oh yeah, another Batman film. Was it? It was a Batman film. I would say it's the one with Heath Ledger in, was it? Or no, it was the one after that. Um, I don't know. It was the one with Bane. You couldn't tell what was to say. Yeah, a very strange voice in the film, and he was entirely covered by a mask. Um, Tom Hardy. 
I yeah, I mean, bearing, bearing in mind that my, my first mental resort when people talk about Batman is the 1960s TV series. <laughs> so. There's only so much portentiousness and, uh, po-facedness you can put into a man who dresses up like a bat and fights crime. I just, there comes a point where you're like, come on, it's not a real story. Mm. Anyway, uh, if two, you're going to do it, do yeah. it like Tim Burton and make it bonkers gothic stuff. Yeah. But there we are. Number anyway. two, Skyfall. Ho oh, hum. Uh, I will refrain from my Skyfall rant, but um, <laughs> I didn't like it as much as everyone else did. And at number one, The Avengers. This, this is the Marvel one, not not the TV series adaptation, which was just didn't get the point. Uh, so, yeah, the, this is, um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe becomes a thing. That we, we've had the four individual introduction films and... I, and I it think... was kind of flag it. This is the one that really cements it because the, yeah. the other four films were kind of, they were okay and people thought they were right, but when they could do it all together like this and it worked and it does, it is a good film and it does work, then it, it really fired things up. It does seem like Marvel at this... They separate into phases now, God knows why, but this, this was the culmination of phase one. Mm. We're now at the start of phase five, I believe. We've just had <laughs> phase four, which phase four was all over the place and started to lose a lot of interest. So I don't know how they'll get on now with phase five, but this was really where it kickstarted yeah, cinema well, into where we are now. Really. From, from a connection point of view, I think it's interesting because uh, you know, most superhero films, you know, Hollywood is always, always about the origin stories. You know, you yes. Have, you know, the, the, this is how the guy becomes the superhero, or at yes. least this is where he comes from. And, alright, there, there had been the Iron Man sequels. But yes. th- this was the one I think that, that said, okay, we're not actually going to have any origin stories in this at all. Yeah. Go watch those other films if you care. Yeah, that was interesting as well. Um, so you can actually was, put a lot more actual narrative into this film. But it's also doing, as ever with Hollywood, it's doing things that, I mean, it was Stan Lee, I don't want to get into the controversy of how much Stan Lee stole off Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, but it, it was his sort of idea to have these universes that could cross-pollinate and have characters from different strips in, mm. and that was the 60s, and so the fact that this is suddenly a novel, exciting idea... Fifty years later, I, it's, um, I, I don't want to dis. I do like the film. I, I genuinely, Avengers: Endgame and Infinity War are very, very good films. But oh, I, I'm just getting a bit weary of the MCU now. And the, but I, I, I feel like it's. Well, hey, it's it, it, it only, it only took them how many years after this to, to have a, have an MCU film with a female lead. I mean, they killed her off, but. They killed her, yes, they had to, yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I think they are genuinely, I, I think what Marvel gets right, that the DC ones always get wrong, is that, I, you know, this is the Dark Knight Rises, I'm talking about po-facedness and Dark and the DC universe only went darker and more miserable from there. The, the MCU, doesn't take itself quite so seriously, and wears its, we are a comic, on its sleeve and is a bit more fun. I, I can't remember which film it was. It might have been The Avengers where there was a post-credit scene of our heroes eating shawarma together. <laughs> yes. That, yeah, that kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's... Yeah, Batman it's, would not do that. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it works better because it accepts it's a comic and these are broadly silly films. I do worry that, I don't know, Maybe I'm getting too old, but uh, these are films from. Oh, I grew up on Star Wars, I suppose. But these are uh, these these seem to be films more for grown-ups than for kids. And I don't. A- aging fanboys is is what I say yeah. when I'm feeling cruel. I re- I remember true. comics from when I was a kid, when I obsessed yeah. about them, and it was great. So um, pander to me. Yeah. Life was much more interesting, and now I've got disposable income. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I don't know how I feel about that. I know how Alan Moore feels about it, which is uh, very uncomfortable. But I, anyway. But looking back right. at those, the the only one that might not qualify as part of a series is the Amazing Spider-Man, and that's only on a technicality. If if because I suspect they didn't plan to produce number two until they saw what the income from number one was like. Yeah. Whereas no. all the others were either it's a sequel to an existing thing or we have planned out several films in advance. 
Yes, true. So. But even the Amazing Spider-Man, it's you know, it's capital F for franchise. Even if they were, it, mm. it's uh, it had it written. Out. It was always an option. But uh, and I think Argo is probably. Well, I don't know. I think Avengers Assemble or whatever it's called, the Avengers. Um, oh, it had to be called Avengers Assemble too. Uh, it was uh, Marvel, Marvel from... Avengers Assemble in the UK and Ireland, or Marvel's the Avengers the, elsewhere. The, because we'd had the terrible The Avengers film inflicted on us. And Based on the really rather good TV series. That's a great TV series. <laughs> terrible <laughs> film. Um, well, there we are. Um, yeah. Argo and 2012 in film. And we're heading back towards a kind of top ten list that I was feeling a bit despondent about in the 90s. Um, the, there there's definitely, at, at least at the top end of the box office, the, I am, I'm feeling a distinct sameness. Uh, well, it, it, I would it's say, either Kid Vid or, it, or it's grim action with a certain amount of superheroism involved. I would say maybe it'll get better, but I remember the last ten years. <laughs> <laughs> but there we are. You never know. Well, I guess on that note, it only remains for me to say, uh, go fuck yourself. 